You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. How could one of Jesus' own chosen apostles, one of the twelve, betray Jesus to Caiaphas and Annas? It was an unspeakable treachery. The whole congregation knew it. The whole congregation felt it. And so Peter knew that. He knew that the apostles needed to address this. He knew that they needed to inject truth. They needed to inject perspective. They needed to bring about some reassurance. Scripture was Peter's go-to when there was an issue that he needed to talk about with other believers. Remember the man who betrayed Jesus? Well, everyone knew what had happened, and it was Peter who reminded them that God is effectual no matter what. Friends, Scripture is good for instruction, rebuking, convicting, and correcting. As a church leader, Peter stood by these truths. Do you have a light-hearted attitude toward the Word of God? Don't. This is the encouragement we hear from Pastor Tom today. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of Acts chapter 1 as he continues his message, Learning from Early Disciples. Of course, we know and love dear Peter. If you've been in church for any period of time, you've heard sermons on Peter before. Peter's one of the most cherished and favorite characters in all of the Bible. I mean, he is a study in contrast, is he not? Bold and confident doing things other disciples can't and then just foot in mouth and making a total blunder of things. He's filled with so many flaws and maybe because he's filled with so many flaws, we like to learn about him because we kind of see ourselves in that and say, yeah, I'm kind of like that. Well, if God can take a Peter and do something with him, maybe he could take me and do something with me, right? If we were to roll it all the way back, which we're not going to, I mean, we'll save some of our material for when Peter crops up later in, in the text as well as we go through Acts. But if we were to roll it all the way back, we would see this fisherman, you know, this bold, strong, outgoing fisherman who just gets himself in all kinds of trouble. He really is a study in contrast. This is the man who both walked on water when no other disciple would do it and then sank miserably, right? He is the disciple who confessed Jesus as the son of the living God, and then he pulled Jesus aside right after that and rebuked him for going to the cross. I mean, goodness gracious. Peter was one of the twelve. One of the twelve apostles chosen by Christ himself. Peter was hand-selected by Jesus Christ. Think about that. In fact, Jesus said that in John chapter 15, verse 16. He said, "You, you did not choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. Peter was Christ's choice along with the other, well, 10 at this point in time, but really all of them. In Luke chapter 6, verse 13, don't turn there, I'll read it for you. It records the moment, at least in the Lucan narrative, where the apostles, the 12 apostles were hand-selected by Christ. The background is he spent the whole night in prayer, and then he came and he had a whole group of followers, disciples. And of that whole large group, he went and actually put his hands on only 12 of them, and they were chosen to be with him. It says there, and when day came, Jesus called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named as apostles, special men. It's also clear, despite this misuse of this historical truth by the Roman church, that Peter was chosen by Christ to lead the other apostles. The church was never designed to have a pope, and the only head of the church is not on earth, but where? In heaven, right? 
There was no papal infallibility. There was no vicar of Christ on earth. There was no infallible pronouncements, ex-cathedra. If you have a Catholic background, you know what I'm talking about. But there was this simple man, Peter, chosen by Christ to be a leader among leaders. That position of a leader among leaders in God's church is illustrated in a number of places in Scripture, including Timothy and his role in Ephesus, including Titus on the island of Crete, where he was told to appoint elders, including James, the Lord's brother in Jerusalem, as the lead pastor there when the apostles moved on. There are hints of Peter's apostolic leadership, even way back in the gospel accounts. For example, in every list of the apostles that's given in the gospel accounts, Peter's name always comes where? First, right? In Matthew 10 and verse 2, for example, he is even called the first, the first, protos, Peter. Even when Christ's closest disciples, those inner three, Peter, James, and John, it's always Peter's name who comes before James and John, the sons of thunder, thunder such as at the Mount of Transfiguration. You'll see in the book of Acts, Peter and John, they travel together, and it's always Peter's name before John. And John was a preeminent apostle. He was a very well-known apostle, but Peter's name always was written first. Peter's apostolic leadership is also seen in how he speaks on behalf of all the other apostles. For example, Peter is the one who answered Jesus' question for the other apostles in that crucial passage in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus said, Who do men say that I am? And they gave all the answers for that. And he turned to the twelve and he said, But who do you say I am? And it's Peter who steps forward and says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He spoke for the apostles and the apostles were fine with that. They understood that he was their spokesman. In John chapter 6 and verse 67, there's a tremendous defection of disciples away from Jesus. A great apostasy is turning away from Christ when he was telling them that he's the bread of life and they had to eat him in order to have life. And the disciples said, this is too hard of a saying, and they left him. Again, Jesus turned to the twelve and he said, you don't want to go away also, do you? And who is it who answered for the twelve but Peter? And he answered well, I think, that time. He said, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Great question. If you ever feel like turning away from Christ, remember the words of Peter. There's nowhere else to go, guys. Nowhere else to go. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 5 makes it clear that Jesus came and gave a resurrection appearance to Peter before he even appeared to the 12, to the 11. Well, to the 10. Thomas wasn't there. But he came to Cephas, to Peter first, to reveal himself as risen from the dead. There was a reason for that. And we pick up on more of that reason in John 21, where Jesus singled out Peter, pulled him aside, and asked him, Simon, do you love me? And he said, of course, you know I do. And then Christ said, feed my sheep or tend my lambs. And he did it three times. He was telling Peter, you are going to shepherd my sheep. And so Jesus appointed Peter the leader. And it's very clear that the other apostles considered him their leader. All of the apostles were leaders, were teachers, were witnesses to the resurrection, were miracle workers, and were men of authority in the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, in Acts 2.42, it speaks of the entire congregation devoting themselves not to the teaching of Peter alone, but to the teaching of all of the apostles. 
And Christ promised all the apostles they would reign on the thrones of Israel, judging the twelve tribes. But Peter was still their spokesperson. Peter was still their leader. And they accepted his leadership as the will of Jesus Christ. And we'll see that continue throughout the book of Acts. The arrangement of a leader among leaders is wise. In this case, you can see what it did. As you study and understand what happened in the book of Acts, you can see that the apostolic witness was one. They were unified and they expressed the unity of their witness through their, the voice of their leader, Peter. It allowed them to show that they spoke as a unit. It allowed them to show that they were unified. It allowed them to show that they were speaking with one voice to their people. And what we see here, I think, is kind of an emerging leader. I mean, even though he's, he has those glimpses of leadership in the Gospels, a lot of times it's bad leadership. I mean, he really doesn't know what he's saying half the time. But here you see a maturing Peter. You don't see an infallible Peter by any means. Later, Paul will have to rebuke him for something. But you see this, this growing and maturing Peter. And a Peter who's accountable to the other men. A Peter who's accountable to the apostles. It's not a do-it-yourself Peter. It's a Peter right there among the other leaders, but leading the leaders and leading the congregation. I love this picture of Peter that is emerging. Leading that flock that Christ charged him in John 21, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, feed my lambs. I want you to notice this. How did Peter lead? He led everybody by bringing them to the scriptures. Do you see that? He particularly brought them to the prophetic portion of the scriptures. The, the scriptures in the Old Testament that spoke of the time of Christ's first coming. Peter understood that all leaders in church serve under a greater authority. They're not an authority unto themselves. They don't have a right to do things the way they want to do it. What they need to do is bring all of the minds and all of the consciences and all the wills of all the people to Scripture, explain Scripture as it says, and then together and collectively they submit their mind to Scripture. Scripture is infallible. Men are not. Jesus may be in heaven, but Jesus remains the chief shepherd of his flock. He even told Peter, they're my lambs and they're my flock. Jesus is not detached or uninvolved in the church. If all we rely on are the eyes and our head to figure out what is going on, we're not very perceptive at all. Jesus speaks to his own people through Holy Scripture. And I think leaders always lead best in church. When they themselves follow Scripture and are determined to follow Scripture and tell everybody else this is what we must do. They don't try to take away from Scripture because they think that Scripture is hard. They don't try to add into Scripture because they don't think the Scripture said enough and they're going to outdo God in the way that obedience should be done. And sometimes what you find in a more liberal kind of a church is you find pastors and preachers pulling away from Scripture and not believing all the Scripture, going to the portions that they like. If you've been in a church like that, you know, where it's they talk about the love of God and patience and they just, oh, they wax eloquent about that. 
but they miss the judgment of God and where he won't tolerate certain things. And so that's, that's taking away from Scripture. Sometimes, inadvertently, the conservative church adds things to Scripture they think should be in there. And we can fall into the mistake that the Pharisees did in coming up with their own rules and their own traditions, thinking it's going to help them obey God, but they're going beyond what God said. That's not wise either. That's not listening to God and being faithful to Him. We don't want to make Scripture say more than it does. We don't want to bind men's consciences to our strange interpretations. We want to go with the clear teachings and snap everybody in line to that. Really, to be a leader, to be a good leader, you first have to learn to follow the leader. And the leader is Christ. Peter had to be in the school of Christ for three and a half years. Some people say, you know, the apostles never went to seminary. Yes, they did. It's just that their seminary traveled around a lot. Three and a half years of seminary. That, by the way, is where they got the idea of three years for a Master of Divinity program. It was right here. Three, three and a half in this case. And his, his learning was tough. He had them do a lot of stuff. They were exhausted. Some people disparage preparation and training, saying, Ah, I don't need it. I've heard enough Bible. They want to lead before they've proven that they can follow. They will not make good leaders. They must first learn to obey Scripture. Notice how Peter leads them to Scripture. Look at verses 16 and 17. Brethren, the Scripture... Notice how he says it. Look at his heart. Think about what he's thinking about here. The Scripture had to be fulfilled. Now, does that sound like a liberal kind of Christian today who says, Ah, the Bible, you know. Ah, who cares? He says it has to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. Let's stop there. Peter and the other apostles knew that the congregation was wondering about this whole Judas thing. I mean, how could they not be thinking about Judas? How could they not be thinking about what Judas did? Judas was one of them. Judas was there among them. Notice verse 17. Peter describes Judas as one who, quote, was counted among us and received his, his share in this ministry. I mean, he was there with them. He shared the ministry. Christ would send them out into the towns two by two. Judas was one of those. How could a man who went in and out among the apostles... And walked along with Christ for three and a half years. How could a man who performed miracles. The miracles came out of Judas also. Who, who shared the ministry with these other apostles. Engaging in all the debate and things like that. As they were learning what was Jesus talking about. Some of his teachings were hard to understand. How could Judas who helped to feed the 5,000. And carry the multiplying of the loaves and the fish. And then collected up the basket full later. How could Judas who sat in that boat and saw a man stand up and talk to the wind and the waves and the clouds and the lightning and whatever else was there and tell it to stop and he saw that happen? How could a man who saw Christ perform miracle after miracle, how could a man who walked hundreds of miles with Jesus who himself went out and preached the kingdom of God is near. How could a man who had been so close and intimate to Jesus turn 
against Jesus? I don't have the answer. I don't have the answer. How could one of Jesus' own chosen apostles, one of the twelve, betray Jesus to Caiaphas and Annas? It was an unspeakable treachery. The whole congregation knew it. The whole congregation felt it. And so Peter knew that. He knew that the apostles needed to address this. He knew that they needed to inject truth. They needed to inject perspective. They needed to bring about some reassurance in this hurt, this cloud of confusion, this potential anger. And so with the apostles' approval, and that's assumed here, Peter told them, you do not need to be discouraged with the defection of Judas. There was divine necessity going on with the betrayal that will now lead to greater things. Nor were they to be concerned they only had 11 apostles. That was not an insurmountable problem either. They knew how to remedy the deficiency. The gospel advance, the church, the new age, their apostolic witness had to go forth. And this seeming setback was not going to stop it. All they need to do is to trust God's sovereignty over his disciples, follow the scriptures, and let Jesus take care of the rest. Amen? Sure enough, according to Luke chapter 22 and verse 3, Satan did probably circle that group of disciples several times looking for the weak link. Where can I attack? He is, after all, Satanas, the adversary. He is the devil, the slanderer. And it actually says in Luke 22, 3, that Satan entered into Judas. People ask sometimes, do you take that literally? Did he actually indwell Judas? I think so. I think Satan is always around attempting to thwart God's purposes. I mean, the Son of God is on earth. What better place than to go after the disciples around him? Satan craftily attempted to use Judas, a disingenuous disciple. Satan figured that out. Judas was pilfering from the money bag all the way along. By the way, he volunteered to be the treasurer so he could just pilfer, right? He was always after the money. Sometimes people feel sorry for Judas. Do not feel sorry for Judas. He was always after the money. And Satan used Judas to get on the inside of the apostolic band so he could carry out his dastardly deeds and betray and hurt Christ and hurt Christ's movement. Beloved, you know that God never lets that happen. You know that God is always five steps ahead, right? Later, after the Holy Spirit arrived, Paul would write to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. and That is what you are. And he said that to the Corinthian church. God is always several steps ahead of the father of lies. There is a lot that leaders can learn from this. Problems that the church faces must be faced with optimism and must be faced with confidence. For God is at work in his church. It is not our church. A step backward may actually be a step forward as God designs it. 
God causes all things to what? Work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I don't know how he does it. Nevertheless, another lesson. Every disciple must be warned, according to Ephesians 6.11, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the methoduos of the devil, the methods, the schemes. I like the King James, the wiles of the devil. What Peter is saying is that replacing Judas is not an obstacle too difficult to overcome. It is an opportunity to see God continue to move forward his agenda. Peter very wisely in verse 16 says, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled. You look that up, it's a little Greek word, de, and it means divine necessity. It had to happen. There was necessity to the program of God. God doesn't tell us everything. He says, you walk, I'll take care of what has to happen. Events were not just happening. They were not just random. There was a God in control moving things forward. And some of those things were going to be very hard. Church life also now is not random. Judas's betrayal of Christ was no embarrassment to the program of God. Peter says God is the one directing. Actually, if you glance forward at chapter 2 into Peter's sermon and go all the way to verse 23... Acts 2.23, you could see Peter making this point about the sovereignty of God along with the uh, betrayal of Christ. Verse 23, it says, this man, he's talking about Christ, delivered over by, and you'd expect them to write in there, Judas, the traitor, and he doesn't. He says, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. God had it all predetermined. Christ was going to be betrayed, delivered over. Nevertheless, every human being is responsible for their actions. Notice he indicts the Jews and he said, you nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. They're still responsible for their act. Even though God's plan is at work and works through the choices of human beings, the people are responsible for their choices. It's fascinating. God is at work. God predetermined the betrayal of Christ. God used the evil decision of Judas Iscariot to bring about your salvation and my salvation. It's amazing. God's sovereignty does not run around the choices of men. God's sovereignty runs through the very choices of men. Men make choices and they choose what God had already predestined to happen. It's amazing. Even Satan making his choices, thinking he had trapped the group, thinking he was so crafty, fell into the very trap of God to accomplish what God wanted to have happen. God foretold the betrayal of Judas by the mouth of David. This is a thousand years before this event. A thousand years. Verse 16, I think, look at it. It's one of the preeminent verses in all of the Bible for understanding biblical inspiration. You know this if you've taken our bibliology class. But here Peter says... The Holy Spirit spoke, or the Holy Spirit foretold by, what? The mouth of David. Holy Spirit, David. Holy Spirit speaking, David, mouth. Mouth speaking. It just goes together. I mean, it doesn't get any clearer than that. What is biblical inspiration? There was a human spokesperson, David, but the words that came out were God's, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit did the speaking, David's mouth did the moving. The message, the words, the sentences were all chosen by God, the Holy Spirit. The vocal cords and the writing pen were David's. 
It's amazing. When people ask, what does it mean that the Bible is inspired? There it is. Every message of Scripture originated with the divine and was spoken through the human. When someone says, but the Bible's a human book, we say so. It's a divine book also. Isn't that what 2 Timothy 3.16 says, right? All Scripture is, what? Inspired by God. Pastor Tom shared with us the qualities of being a good leader and the shortcuts that some people take when they want to be boss without putting forth effort. People, this doesn't work. The perfect example of a leader is Jesus. The Apostle Peter turned to what God had to say in the Scriptures. He understood this to be foundational. God takes care of everything, friends. He works independently of anything we do. We're so glad you joined us today on Discover Hope. We'd like to meet you. So if you're in the area, come visit us at Hope Bible Church. Our Sunday mornings include Bible classes at 9.30 a.m., followed by a worship service at 11 a.m. You can find out more at hopebible.org or give us a call at 443-200-HOPE. That's 443-200-HOPE. We'd also like to invite you to join us in bringing the kingdom of God and the joy of salvation to our listeners by becoming a financial partner of Discover Hope. Find out more under the giving tab at hopebible.org. How do you feel when someone doesn't take what you say seriously, especially if it's a matter of life and death? Did you know that the next message by Pastor Tom will point out that Peter believed the word of God and what it says about sin that destroys lives? Like Judas, the man who betrayed Jesus, his greed ended up killing him. Saying sorry doesn't change anything. There has to be a complete turnaround, otherwise known as repentance, so be sure to tune in. Thanks for tuning in today for Discover Hope. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Tom, visit HopeBibleChurch.org. There's much more to learn from the book of Acts, as we hope you'll join us again right here on Discover Hope.